Good morning. Glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, church family, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 today. As you're turning to Galatians chapter 1, I want to give you guys some background, um, some background information on Paul's letter to the Galatians. So Galatians is one of Paul's only letters that is not written to a specific person or church. This letter is written to a region known as the region of Galatia. It would be like someone writing a letter to all the churches in the upstate. So Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians because after his missionary journey through that region, he planted some churches. Um, there were some false teachers known as Judaizers who came through preaching a false message. Their message was that you had to follow the Mosaic law and trust in Christ to be saved. Paul was rightly upset by this distortion of the gospel. Since Paul's main argument today is about, or should I say against false teachers, I think it would be good to understand what he means by the gospel. The gospel is simply this. Jesus lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and God raised him from the dead. By trusting and believing in him, you can be saved. The main idea of this passage is there is no other gospel. Jesus is enough. So if you guys would join me at Galatians 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. According to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time you've allowed us to come and to study your word, to gather together and to worship you. Um, I pray, Lord, that as we study your word, you would just shine a light, help us to see something that we can apply to our lives this week, help us to see the true gospel, and to beware of false teachers. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to um, have boldness this week as we go out into our, our spheres of influence, whether it be work or school uh, or at home or anywhere we might be. I pray that you would just give us the boldness and give us the opportunities to share your gospel with those around us. I pray that help us as we go through this word, just to help us understand and help us see that there is no other gospel. The good news is that, Christ, that you sent Christ to die for us, to die in our place, to take the, the punishment that we deserve. And by trusting in him, we can be saved. I pray that you'll help us to see that today. Pressing in Christ's name. Amen. So verse 1, Paul opens with Paul, an apostle. He's going to tell the Galatians what that means. He's going to remind them of what an apostle is and why he is one, or how he became one. It appears that the false teachers that came through could not discredit the gospel he brought, so they tried to discredit the messenger. 
they tried to say that he was not an apostle. Paul says an apostle not from men nor through man. We're going to take a look at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Luke is writing this account, and he describes Paul's conversion. So we're going to look at how Paul became Paul, how he was saved. As you guys are turning there and as we're reading through it, think about your conversion. If you're saved, if you trust in Christ, think about where you were and how your story looks. Compare that to Paul. Now, Paul's name wasn't always Paul. His name was Saul. And so we're going to see that as we start with chapter 1. So say verse 1, sorry. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, these are followers of, followers of Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I don't know about your conversion story, but I'm pretty sure it didn't look like Saul's. I don't think you were on the way to, to take Christians to prison. Um, you might have been, but that might not have been where you were. I'm also certain that there was not a shining light in Jesus appeared to you directly to send you on his mission. But we see in Paul's conversion that God chose Paul. Christ came specifically to him, chose Paul. The word apostle means one who was sent on a mission, or just one who was sent. The apostles, when we talk about the apostles in the Bible, these were people who directly lived with Jesus, and Jesus directly sent on a mission. Paul is the last of these apostles. Paul directly received his mission from Christ on the road to Damascus. So he was an apostle. Now we're going to look at Paul's commission. So who sent Paul, right? We see his conversion. Now look at, look at his commission. If you flip over a couple pages to Acts 13, we're going to see that Paul is not an apostle by man or through man. He was not elected to be an apostle by a group of people. He did not make himself an apostle. But God chose him. So Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the works to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. We see that not only was his conversion from God, but also his commissioning or his mission when he was sent. He was chosen 
by the Holy Spirit here um, as you are worshiping. So, many people may claim to be sent by God or like have this message from God. How do we know that Paul is any different? All right, what if he was just imagining this? What if he was just making this stuff up? How do we know that Paul is any different? In chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul explains that after preaching the gospel for some time, says 14 years, he goes to the original 12. He goes to the apostles, and he verifies that he had not been teaching a false message. He verifies that he's not running in vain. So Galatians 2, 1 through 3 says this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. James, this is verse 9, James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Paul's revelation from God was not his own creation. He verified it with the people who walked with Jesus. The people who actually knew exactly what Jesus taught. He verifies his message with them. So we see that from his calling to his commission, and even after teaching for some time, we see that all of this is from God. So the first truth we learn about the gospel is that the gospel is from God. It's not man-made. The second truth we'll see is that the gospel is Christ-centered. Paul continues in verses 3 through 5 by briefly explaining the gospel to the Galatians. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul, starting with Paul, an apostle, that's pretty normal. Paul, continuing with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's normal for his letters. But he begins in the next section um, really addressing the issue. He starts addressing the false teachers. And so he clarifies the gospel before he gets into that. Three key points we see here. In verses 3, into verse 3, into 4, it says, The Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. We see that Jesus gave himself for our sins. Now you might say, well, the Jewish leaders called for his execution, or the Romans are the ones that actually executed him on the cross. But Jesus gave his life. No one took it from him. He did it freely, or he gave it freely. Without Jesus wanting to go to the cross, it wouldn't have happened. But Jesus gave himself to pay the penalty that we deserved. He became our substitute on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved. The second thing we see about this gospel that Paul is preaching is that Jesus did it to deliver us from this present evil age. Well, what is this present evil age? The present evil age is the world we live in the culture we live in. In John 17, verses 14 through 15, Jesus said in the high priestly prayer, I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, 
just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So we see that Jesus doesn't want to remove us from the world. He wants us to be a light in the world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us, The God of this age, that's a little g God, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We see that the world around us, this present evil age, is trying to keep us under bondage and captivity. And we see that by trusting in Christ, he set us free. He allows us to see that we don't have to live that way. We don't have to think the way the world thinks. We don't have to act the way the world acts. We can be free from that to serve him and to be holy. So Jesus gave himself for our sins. He delivers us from the present evil age. The third thing we see is that it is according to the will of our God and Father. Verse 4 continues, according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus' death on the cross was an act of submission and obedience to God. We can look at that example as an example for our own lives as well. Every day we should be denying ourselves and living for Christ. We should be dying to our desires and living for God. In the same way that he died um, in obedience and submission to God. Finally, after all that, he gave himself for us. He's delivering us from this evil age. And it's according to God's plan. God will receive all the glory. Paul concludes in verse uh, 4 and 5. It says, According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So the result of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection is that God gets all the glory. What does it mean? I know we probably say that a lot, like, oh, God gets all the glory, but like, what does it mean that God gets all the glory? Cambridge Dictionary states that glory is a noun that means great admiration, honor, and praise that you earn for doing something successfully. So it's honor and praise for doing something successfully. This means that in the end, God will get the glory because he did all the work. Some distortions of the gospel, like the one the Judaizers were preaching or teaching, attempts to steal glory from God. As they're preaching it or teaching it, they're not going to tell you that. But what they are saying, though, when you have to work or follow certain rules or jump through certain hoops um, to be right with God, is that God didn't do enough. Jesus' death on the cross was not enough to save me. I need to do more. Somehow the things that I, I do can add to what Christ did in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. So what we're saying, if we believe that, is that God didn't do enough. I have to step in and do certain things so that I can be saved. In turn, we see that God is not receiving all the glory because the, the things that we did, we're trying to get recognition and glory for. We might not realize that. We find out that Jesus gave himself for our sins. He delivered us from this present evil age. He was obedient to sacrifice his life. He did this according to God's plan. After all of that, God raised him from the dead. And because of all of this work, God and God alone deserves the glory. Jesus is enough. Nothing we do earns our salvation. Only what Christ has done for us. In all this, we see that the gospel is not centered on our works or the things that we do. The gospel is Christ-centered. Jesus is enough. We attain salvation through faith in him. The third and final truth we'll look at this uh, morning 
is that there is no other gospel. If you guys will join me in verses 6 through 10. Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So Paul is astonished. This is different than his other letters. In Paul's other letters, he begins with Paul, an apostle. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ. And then usually, Paul gets into thanksgiving. I thank God every day for you. He praises them and says that you're doing such a good job. You're, you're setting such a good example in your area, not the Galatians. Paul jumps straight into correction. I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you. And now when he says quickly deserting him who called you, he's not saying you're deserting me. You're not deserting Paul. You're not deserting each other. You're deserting God. You're turning your back on God and following after this false gospel. He says you're, de you're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And he quickly clarifies, not that there is another one. He says you're turning from the good news to this other quote-unquote good news, but there's not another. There is no other gospel. We learn some things about the false teachers. First, we realize that the false teachers were preaching a gospel that wasn't the true gospel. Because of the way Paul says that. You were turning to a different gospel, not that there is another. The second thing we realize is that the false teachers were troubling the congregation. It says, not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The Judaizers troubled Gentile believers. These were non-Jewish believers. And they taught that you had to follow the Mosaic Law, circumcision, all of those things, to actually be saved. Now this actually did nothing for them. They were trying to add works to what Christ had already done. We see that they were troubling them, and in a way, it was for their own benefit. So these false teachers were telling them to follow these Mosaic Laws because that's something that man can see. They were seeking man's approval. They could tell their friends or whoever it is, look at the group of people I've got following the Mosaic Law over here. Like, look at these people. They're following the law. And they could show them physically that these people are listening to me. Look at what I'm doing, right? And so they didn't care about the people. They were caring about themselves and their own image. Secondly, we see that they were distorting the gospel. They could not discredit the gospel so they distorted the gospel. They were trying to add things to it or take things away from it to make themselves look better or make it easier um, to believe. Have you ever been told a false gospel? So I have. Plenty of different ones, different twists and turns on the gospel, the true gospel of Christ. I've heard people say that by doing more good than bad, I can be saved, I can be right with God. I've heard people say that you have to do certain things and trust in Christ to be saved. Sometimes these, these false gospels sound good to our human ears. 
Doesn't it sound good to get what you deserve? When you, when you do good, you get, a, you get a reward. When you do bad, you get punished. Maybe that part doesn't sound too good. But the other part does sound good, right? Like when I do good, I get a reward. When I do bad, we get punished. It sounds really good to our human ears. That's our, that's our human nature. All we've known, if we're following just our human nature and the physical world around us, is cause and effect from the moment we were born. We see that cause leads to effect with everything in our lives. And so why should heaven be any different? That's what we think in our human nature. The rule of cause and effect teaches that you get what you deserve, and that sounds really nice to us. But the gospel of Christ is not man-made. It's God's plan. We rebellious, sinful humans don't get what we deserve. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took the punishment that we deserved so that we could be counted as righteous before God. If we place our faith in him, uh, we can be saved. To the world, this seems backwards. But this is the way that God planned it from the beginning. After this warning about the false teachers, that they were trying to preach to them a false gospel who, that wasn't a real gospel, they were trying to trouble them and distort the gospel, Paul has some words for the false teachers. So let's read those in verse 8 and 9. Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That word accursed, is the, the original word is anathema. That means set apart for God's destruction. Separated from God eternally. Condemned to hell. He has some pretty strong words for false teachers. Let them be separated from God eternally. And we might ask ourselves, where is Paul's compassion in that? Where is Paul's love for that, for that false teacher in saying that they should be separated from God eternally? We have to realize that these false teachers were leading hundreds, thousands of people astray. They were leading people to hell themselves. They were leading people away from God and towards a false gospel. Imagine there's a ship sinking, and there was a life raft that would save you, and there was a life raft that might look like it could save you, but it had holes in it. These false teachers were saying, get in this, this life raft that has all these holes in it. And they were trying to tell you that it would float and it would save you. But it was going to sink. It wouldn't actually work. In the same way, this is why Paul is fighting them. Because he knows that they're leading people astray and they're trying to lead people into a sinking ship, not into the one that actually can save them. In the same way, we should be upset when we see others being led astray. Another truth we see from this, from learning that the false teachers deserve this condemnation, um, is that the truth, the truth of the gospel doesn't change. We can stand boldly on the truth of the gospel, because this is a bold claim that, that Paul is making here. We can stand boldly on the gospel of Christ. It doesn't matter who says it, when it is said, the truth doesn't change depending on those things. We don't have to wonder if the gospel that we believe in will save us, because we know that it's not in human hands to bring about that salvation, that it was in God's hands or Christ's hands. Christ has, done all, has already done all the work. Now, in verse 9, if you missed it, Paul doubles down on his statement of condemnation. He says, As we have said before, 
So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. I didn't read verse 8 again. That is verse 9. That's right afterwards. He's emphasizing pretty strongly about this warning against false teachers. In today's age, if we're writing a letter or an email or something, and we wanted to emphasize something, we might write all caps, we might bold it, we might underline it. Paul didn't have that kind of stuff when he was writing these things, so he doubles down. This is about as strong as he could emphasize it by repeating it right after he said it. He's letting them know that this is the truth. He includes in those that could be false teachers himself or angels. He says, if we or an angel from, the he- from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one you believe, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one we just talked about, then he says, let them be accursed. Let them be separated from God eternally. A couple applications from this section is that we should study the Bible so we know when we're hearing a false gospel. I don't know if any of you have been bank tellers or know any bank tellers in your life, but when they're teaching bank tellers about counterfeit money, there are thousands of counterfeit dollar bills and other things, okay? Maybe not dollars, maybe 20s and 100s, I don't know. But there are, there are thousands, there are different, so many that you cannot count them. And in these schools, when they're teaching them about how to be a bank teller and how to tell real money from fake money, they don't show them all the thousands of fake money and all the ways they can trick you. They give them a real dollar bill or a real 20 or a real 100, and they say, study this, right? Look at this one and know what's real so you can tell what's fake. In the same way, if we study our Bible, if we study God's word, we can, when we hear a false gospel, we'll know that it's contrary to the word of God. Secondly, we see that we should... Be careful not to become false teachers. I know we might be prideful and saying, I could never be a false teacher. I know the gospel of Christ. I'm not going to spread any false things. I'm not going to be a hypocrite, those kind of things. Later in in verse 2, sorry, chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul corrects Peter. Okay? He confronts Peter directly because of his hypocrisy. Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but when the Jewish party would show up, he'd, he'd disassociate. He wouldn't, he wouldn't act with them. He wouldn't be with them anymore. He was living like a two-faced life, kind of, right? And so in the same way, we might say that, oh, we, we, I would never be a false teacher, but we need to be on guard against that, make sure that what we are teaching is the gospel, is God's word. We're not twisting it to make it easier for us or other people to believe. Thirdly, if you're a parent, pay attention to what your kids are being taught, what they're being exposed to. So watch out for that false teaching again. And just kind of to wrap up all of that, anytime we're hearing God's word preached or any message that we're hearing, we should always compare that to God's word. I would say if a preacher comes up or a teacher or anybody and they tell you not to look in God's word, just listen to me. <laughs> you might want to be careful about that, right? You might want to say, let me look at God's word and see what he says about this. Um, and so that's why when we do study through God's word, hopefully you have your copy open and you're reading along too to make sure that what the preacher or teacher is saying is not false or not different than what the word actually says. So in this final section, we see that there is no other gospel. In this section, Paul identifies the false teachers and warns the Galatians that they are giving them, they're going to trouble them and distort the gospel of Christ. We must realize that the world around us attempts to distort the gospel, but there is no other gospel. And if we're in this word, we can know what that gospel is. There is no other gospel that saves. 
today as we close, I want us to be reminded of the gospel, that the gospel is God's plan, the gospel is Christ-centered, and that there is no other gospel. Christ did enough. If you need to talk about what it means to be saved, or you want to pray or any of those kind of things, um, come find me after service. We can talk about it. I'll be here for you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, um, thank you for your gospel. Thank you that you sent Christ to live a perfect life and die for our sins, to pay the, pay for the pay the punishment that, that we could not, Lord. We pray, Lord, that as we go out this week, you would just help us to have boldness and realizing that the gospel is not man-made, that the gospel that we believe is from God, that we believe that the, the gospel is Christ-centered, Christ did all the work, Jesus plus nothing is salvation. Jesus did it all. We had to place our faith in him. And just realize that there is no other gospel. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to you in any other way. I pray that as we go out this week, we'll have boldness and have opportunity to just be on guard against false teaching and twists and turns of the gospel that might uh, be in our lives and our, our spheres of influence. I pray that as we go out this week, you just help us to grow close to each other and go, grow closer to you and just help us to be a light to the world around us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.